0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's an amazing privilege to be ministering this morning and um, really excited. I've spent the last, what, 48 hours or 30, 40 hours with men from all over. We're about a just under 100 guys, 90 guys away for the weekend. And it is an experience on many levels. Can I give you one of the experiences? It took place after lunch, but probably three minutes after lunch. And it went something like this. Let me just make sure. We're all on the same page. Just receive. Just So that, um, you'll never find out who that is. <laughs> never. Never. But um, when men go away together, strange things happen. That same it was only, ex- was only um, what do you call that, uh, snoring on the, on the inhale. But in the middle of the night, when he was in deep sleep, it was both an exhale and inhale <laughs> rhythm. And uh, fortunately, I took earplugs. I took over your headphones and I put the white noise on the headphones. I was sorted and I still woke up to Kieran Fells walking around going, "Who is it? Who is it? Who we can't find?" And so dorms are amazing, but they actually, we we then relocated our friend to the upper room, which is a special house where snorers go to, and they have it laid on, it's fancy beds, and they get fancy showers, they get the greatest, the gospel always treats those guys the best. So we've had an amazing weekend, and uh, Friday night, just to give you some context, we got there, we had a meal together, we said a few things, and we went on a hike together in the dark. And, um, And... the objective was to walk next to people you don't know and talk. And, and, and I just had the privilege of listening to conversations unfolding with men outside of the local church probably would have never met. And I watched those conversations unfold at breakfast tables and lunch tables. And um, yes, there were amazing sessions. Yes, we worship God. And yes, God did amazing in the meetings. But it's always what happens outside of that. Got to travel back with Dave last night, and I know Tyler travelled back with Steve, and and, um, Steve was with us as well, and uh, amazing just to hear more, and and God's calling us to something that looks different to the world, and I think that's what I want to share about this morning. There's this amazing scripture that we love in Psalm 133, and it goes like this. It says, when brothers dwell together in unity, we know that one, and I want to... Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard on the beard of Oren, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the Jew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded blessing. Now here's what I want. I want Blessing. I want blessing for my friends. I want blessing for you. I want blessing for this community. I want us to be known as a community that is blessed by their good God, their good Father. I want that for all of us. But there's the sneaky little one-liner of where the brothers dwell together in unity. You only have to go away with a few gents for a weekend and find each other at 3 o'clock in the morning. Gents walking around trying to find this guy who is stealing my sleep because we aren't used to dwelling together in a dorm your husband's fine, I looked after him, he's okay, he slept well, they, he, he took his own tent, and um, they, uh, but, but, but it's amazing to see what happens in those moments, and the laughter, and the fun, but there's a challenge there, because I've got three brothers in my house, and they don't easily dwell together in unity, even though they have the same DNA, even though they are the similarities, even though they have the same parents and they have the same environments and the same everything, they don't find it always that easy to dwell together in unity. And yet, I want the blessing, and I know you do too. I want hashtag blessed and the whole thing. I, I want it all. But God says, there's a the sneaky little thing I'm going to put in. I want brothers to dwell together in unity. I want to give you a snapshot of 48 hours of my life this week, if that's all right. And it'll have context as we go. But um, for the last three, four weeks, I've been navigating a road with a friend that I love in Durban. And um, he's had a really tough time. I don't want to give you too much detail, but a really tough time in his family and his marriage. And uh, I've been talking to him every day and been encouraging him. But on Tuesday was my birthday. And um, I took my wife out. We got takeaway sushi and went to the beach and sat on the beach. From hoppers five to seven. Thank you. And, um, and then we got home Hopper seven. I just said to my wife, I've got to go to Durban. I've got to go see my mate. I've got to see his face. I've got to hold his hands. I've got to take his shoulders. I've got to hold them. You know who this man was? When I was 19, 20 and my parents got liquidated, he was my life group leader. And I had to work three jobs. He came to one of them in RJ's. It was my first shift. He bought a 30 rand burger and gave me a 50 rand tip. He was the guy when the boys went away, but I was younger and I didn't have resources. He bought an extra motorbike so that I could go with and drive up Sony Pass with them. And on that pass, there was ice and I slipped and the motorbike broke and he fixed that bike and told me I didn't have to pay. He also paid the fuel for that trip. And then a year later, when I went to England and I was running, I was running from God. I was running from frustrations. I was running from a whole bunch of stuff. I got back from playing rugby in England, and I had the opportunity to go back to England, and I was wrestling all of that, and I arrived back. And a week later, I was, what? A men's camp. And I said, I don't want to go to that men's camp. I really don't know if I want to hear from God right now. I'm really a little bit cross, and I'm quite liking where I'm at. And this guy phoned me. And this guy said, you've got to come to the men's camp. I said, I want to come to men's camp. I don't have money. He said, I've already paid. You're coming. I'm going to come to your house. If I have to, I'll throw you in the car myself. And on that men's camp, God spoke to me and said, you stay in Durban where there are no possibilities now and no opportunities now, and I will provide. And two weeks later, I met a girl named Candace. One month later, an Irish unsaved businessman who didn't know my parents had been liquidated because I was too proud and arrogant to tell anyone. Calls me up and says, I've got to speak to you. And I thought I was in trouble. And I go speak to him. He says, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I want to pay for your studies. I said, what do you mean you don't want to pay for my studies? He didn't know the bank had phoned before I'd left South Africa to say, we won't lend you any more money because there is no surety. It's all gone. I said, what do you mean you want to pay for my studies? He says, well, I don't know, but I feel like I've got to pay for your studies. I said, well, how do I pay you back? He said, you don't. Do it for someone else. This man... There was a the guy who phoned me at Hoppus 1 in the morning when I was spending too much time at my girlfriend's house. And he said, what are you doing there? Because he saw my car outside her house. And I was 21 years old, full of hormones, and on the risk of messing something beautiful up. And I got a phone call on my phone, and it was this man who phoned me and told me, get in my car and go home. So when I said to my wife, I've got to go to Durban, it's not hard. Why? Because God says... It's not just kingdom standard of doing church and all this. This is great, but understand this, guys. This is a crowd. We're a crowd. Yes, we're a congregation. We're many things. But we're a crowd on many levels. And God says, I want to put people so deep inside your heart that when they hurt, you hurt. You hurt. And then I got on the plane the next morning. And... um, I made a phone call to a friend as I was on the way to the airport because I realized, shucks, I actually needs I wanted to go to a, a house, that we, a property we bought many years ago. And it's a small little property. It's still there. I needed to do one, two things. I needed some tools. So I phoned my one friend. He said, don't worry. I'll bring the tools. I'll pick you up. You can have my car for both days. I said, that's awesome. Landon Durban. he's there. Coffee in hand. Let's go. Take the car. Cheers. And then I realized, shucks, I actually don't know how to do tiling. It took me a while. I, I've never laid a tile in my life. I've tried. I messed it up, so I've stopped. So I need someone to do tiling. So I found another friend who was five years younger than me at school and then started coming to our church, and I spent time with him. and used to be in my life group, and we was my, in my life-saving crew, and we walked together. I said, hey, but I need help. I, I know. I think you've got some builders. He said, no problem. What time you'll be there? His name is Greg Barth. He said, what time you'll be there? I said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. He said, give me an hour. I'll be there. And he had a major crisis at his work. The ANC Youth League were marching on his offices. <laughs> and he left that and brought a man to my house. And I stood at the door and I said, how's it, Greg? And I looked at this man and I said, I know you, sir. He says, yes, my name's Norm. I said, Norman Gradige, because his son used to be in my life group. And 10 years ago, 9 years ago, Philippe and, um And when his son was a young colored man who lived in a different area to where I lived, was in my life group. We took our life group, went and had dinner at a man's house named Norman Gridich. I'd been to this man's house. He walks in my house and says, I'll do this for you, no problem. Just leave it to me. You go back to Captain and I'll sort it next week. And then I had some meetings with churches that I had to connect with, and, and then at about three o'clock, on my, on my, I was spending one more night at three o'clock on the flip. I haven't seen my mates. There's six guys that I've, when I've, I've been out of Durban for four years, and these guys phone me all the time. They are my mates. They are my deep inside of my being. And, I, and at three o'clock, I sent an SMS It was cheeky. I said, "Guys, I've got an hour from hopper six to about quarter to eight tomorrow morning. Hopper 6." Can we do coffee? Five of the six got back to me within half an hour. I said, we'll be there. I've just got to cancel one or two meetings. I'll be there. One guy said, I've got a board meeting. I can't be there. And I connected the next morning with my mates. Why well, am I telling you all this. I'm not boasting. I, I, uh, I really, there's nothing in me that wants to boast. I want to give you a vision and a picture of what it looks like when brothers dwell together in unity. See, all of those guys are fought with. One of those gents who got up at six in the morning to get up. To be breakfast, with me. he's 58 years old. And why are we friends? Because 18 months ago his son died on a motorbike, and I was the person he phoned as he stood next to the body on the road and he wept. He's deep inside of my soul. He's deep inside of me. And this reality and the blessing that we so glibly talk about and we put on bumper stickers is not glib. It's highly demanding. It's highly sacrificial. And it calls for something that this world cannot and will never fully understand. I just want to present it to you. And we want blessing, but we want it for ourselves. And actually the Bible says the way to blessing is to give yourself to your brothers and sisters. Not at a man's camp. I apologize. But I would say that every man and woman needs a tribe and they need brothers. See, if we just run in crowds, we think we're safe. The problem is, stampedes happen in crowds, and people get trampled. The problem in crowds, people don't see their brother fall. But when you're running with a tribe, you're part of a tribe, you're part of people fighting for you. There's a common mission and a common manner. When you're running with brothers in a tribe, they are asked to see. They are the four who take their paralyzed mates, and they rip open a roof. And they lower their friend to Jesus. Why? Because there's a covenantal relationship that says, I don't have to get in the room with Jesus. I need you to get in the room with Jesus because you need him. And what happens? Blessing, salvation, healing, kingdom of God goes on. And I want to call us to something this morning. I'm sorry I'm a little bit tender. See, but brothers, they'll bring you the worst of times. You just have to ask Joseph from the Bible. His brothers sold him into slavery. It's not a good deal. I wouldn't I advise it. But because there's the danger that those closest to you can hurt you the most, and we all know that. I'm a, from a family of four kids. I've got three older sisters. There's no one can hurt each other like us. No one can hurt me like family. And yet... On the other side of that, there's also the blessing that as the tribes went forward and two or three, two and a half of the tribes had their land and the inheritance, they left their inheritance, they crossed the river to go and fight for their brother's inheritance. I need brothers who are going to cross rivers to fight for my inheritance and I'll keep doing it. But I can't expect brothers to cross the river for my inheritance if I'm never prepared to cross a river for theirs. We've got to start being people who put seed in the soil. Oh, I, I, I give, I do this, I do this. No, we've got to put seed in the soil. You want deep covenantal relationships? Put seed in the soil and put it deep down and stand firm. Can I have a tissue? Because this is getting ridiculous. I apologize for how I mess up on uh, worship there. I get a little nervous. I haven't led worship in a while. So every now and then it just goes out my head. I'm like, what am I doing yet again? <laughs> just try sing and maybe something will come. And... Um, but we need both, and my challenge is this morning, and it was to the men yesterday, and I wasn't going to preach it this morning, but last night God did something with us. We're bad at tribe joining, and we're bad at friend making, brother making. Here's the thing I read to the gents yesterday. It's a study that's called, from the Huffington and Post, and it was put out, it's called Male Deficit Model. The friendships between men function and falter with strict pragmatic categories. Convenience friends, for example, exchange helpful favors but don't interact much otherwise. Or mentor friends who connect primarily through one's tutelage of the other. Or activity friends where we, we go and surf together. So obviously we're mates, we're tight, we're deep, we spend three hours in the water. Obviously we go deep, you know. And the theory holds that men tend to drift apart when their shared convenience, mentorship, or activity ends. There's a whole bunch of stuff from the study. It says that men have the inability and it's an increasing inability to make friends. It's not decreasing, it's increasing. And the fact the challenges it's affecting health. Studies show that men with good friendships over years and over time live longer, live healthier, and do better in life. Now the challenges in our areas, most of us aren't from here. How many local table view people grew up here? You kind of went to school here. Put your hand up. It's okay. We won't bite. That means the rest of us aren't from here. Our roots aren't from here. So what's happened? We've uprooted some, somewhere. And what happens in the world is, well, it's about me, so I'm going to uproot my world. We go, and then we get grumpy because Cape Town's full of cliques. That's what I heard in Durban. It's all anyone ever told me. Good luck in Cape Town. It's full of cliques. You're going to have no friends. Like, no friends. I'm like, are you joking? You're serious. Great place to visit, don't live there. It says, the capacity of men to combat loneliness and improve their health by building strong friendships seems to be steadily eroding. It has major implications, friends. See, I can know the gospel, and I can hold into the truth of the gospel, but, but if it isn't outworked in every area of my life, it has no traction, it'll have no fruit, it'll have no breakthrough. My father had friends for years. They did stuff together. They, they had fun together. They played golf together. They played tennis. I remember them. I can tell you all their names. I can tell you when they ripped me off on the golf course, the quits on the last hole because they were wiser than me. But I'm sad to say when liquidation happened, none of them came running. None of them. No one. I'm sad to say that part of the reason they didn't come running is because my dad, in his own inability to communicate both to family and friends, hadn't told anyone where the situation was at. And the truth is it wasn't that bad. But his pride wouldn't even allow him to go to a friend and say, I need help. And I love my dad, and we've processed all of this stuff, but there's a higher standard, there's a different standard for you and I. John 15: 15, 15. this is Jesus. He says, "No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know wo- what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls us friends. Jesus doesn't need me, guys. And he doesn't need all these little people. He is the master of the galaxies says he holds the galaxies in his hands, and did he choose to call me friend? Me? I'm rotten to the core, if I'm being honest. I get grumpy. I get tired, and and, and when I'm outside of God's presence and the knowledge of his presence, I can be arrogant. I can be harsh with people. I know that, and Jesus still says, I want to call you friend. I call you friend. And yet we struggle because, oh, that guy's got this and, and prejudice here and a whole bunch. of. I want to take us to a guy who I love. His name's David. He's a king. I love him for many reasons. I love him because he's the warrior. He's the guy who flung the stone and killed Goliath. How cool is that? He, he's, the, he's the worshiper that was brought into the presence of a tormented king. And he ministered to the king as a simple shepherd boy. And a king was ministered to. He's the worshiper who jumps around in his underpants worshipping Jesus, and everyone thought he was awesome. He's the king who, who orchestrated the greatest advancement of, the, of, of God's kingdom, of the, the, the people of God, and, and extended their boundaries beyond what they had known. He's the king where there was blessing over God's people. He's that guy. But you know who he was? He was a friend. And he had two key friendships, one named Jonathan. And I want to talk us through the Jonathan friendship, and then he had another one named Nathan, and then we're going to be finished. Is that all right? I'm going to try not to cry anymore. Is that all right? Sorry. It could be the fact that I didn't sleep a lot last night. I'm processing that. But I've been with gents and God has done something amazing this weekend, and I've seen it in front of my eyes, and it's a great privilege to watch. And... um, so there's this friend and it starts out in Jonathan and John, uh, 1 Samuel 17 is the David and Goliath story. It's awesome. This light, he comes out of nowhere. The enemy, the army's backing off and this light, he comes and says, who's this dude? I know God. I worship God. I know God wants to sort this guy out. So he picks up a stone. He takes his little sling, He goes, whew. And he kills Goliath, and he cuts off his head, and he does all the good stuff. And and the king goes, awesome. And then what happens at the end of chapter 17 is they come, and and the king says, who are you? He says, I'm David, son of Jesse. I'm a shepherd boy, but I love God. I trust God. God has always been faithful to me. God has always been kind to me. And he's always given me victory over my enemy, and he did it again today. And then chapter 18 starts. You see, who was listening to David tell his story was a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of the king. Jonathan, who grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth because he grew up in the palace. Jonathan, who grew up on the right side of the tracks, who would have sat in the general's discussions, who would have had the best education, the best opportunities, the best of everything. He is totally different to David. David grew up looking after sheep. Jonathan grew up in the presence of a king. And it says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. What does it? What does it doesn't say? It doesn't say they spent 13 hours together. Or 13 months. It doesn't say they did strength finder profiles to see if they would be best mates. It doesn't say that, Paul, uh, uh, that Jonathan asked him 17 questions about his background. He didn't do a background check. He didn't do a credit check. He didn't do a, a, a criminal check. It just says Jonathan heard David share his heart for God. And something inside of Jonathan went, yes! I love the king too! And it says Jonathan comes and he gives his heart to David in a moment. What world do we live in? Oh, I don't know if I can trust you. Can't trust you. I don't know why, but I just can't because I've been hurt by other people. So sorry, Omri, I can't trust you because someone other named Omri who I once knew when I was seven hurt me. So I can't trust you. Sorry, bud. But maybe in the next 17 years we can work through it and then I'll trust you. We live in this trust deficit world that keeps men and women from having real interactions and real relationships that would bring the blessing of God and yet we want the blessing, we just don't want the dwelling. Sorry, this is, I'm very excited and this is not a rebuke, this is a hard cry because honestly, I think this is part of who I am. I I, I wrestle this thing. Part of my wrestle with people is I have to manage my own expectations because I know I'm highly relational. I know it. I know I'm prepared to give a lot. I know it. And I can't expect the same because not everyone's evenly wired, so I know that. But I do believe this is something deep inside of God's heart. When I look at God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect community, perfect synergy, perfect ability to be together, they were relational in in themselves without us. And then they pull us into their story and say, actually, sons of God, I want you to be a part of the kingdom story. And they pull us into a relational story. And then we sit back and we go, but I'm an introvert. No, but the Bible says you were made in His image. So yes, you're an introvert. No one's denying that. Find ways to make these relationships because on the other side of these relationships is blessing. And I sat with a man last night after I preached something of this. He came to me and said, when I left Zimbabwe, I left all my friends behind and I've struggled to make friends here and I've been hurt and I've been broken and every point I've made has tried to rip me off. What do I do? I said, so I don't know, but you've got to put your trust in Jesus again because on the other side of this is blessing. And I want you to have blessing. Thanks, Mel. You know, the amazing thing about this uh, relationship is that it put everything who Jonathan was into an exposed place because Jonathan was the next heir to the throne. He was the oldest son of the king. He should have been the next heir. And yet, David comes in the story and Jonathan says, God's shown me it's you. It's unbelievable. It's, it's humility at the end. It's powerful. And then it carries on in verse 3. And the second point is this. We never drift into authentic community. It says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Understand this again. Not 20 years of relationship. They would have 20 years of relationship. But it says he makes a covenant with David. You want to have relationship? Move towards people. Oh, no one's loving me at church. No one called me when I was sick. Let me just help you. If you run out of church, the crowd and you don't give yourself an opportunity either in coffee afterwards or in life groups with this guy who I went to serve and see was my life group leader and the guy who was my best man at my wedding was in my life group and the guy who was part of, I'll just tell you, if you're not prepared to sow seed in time and energy, there probably won't be fruit. It's not an organization it's people who need to be sowed into. It says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David. Here's the amazing thing. Jonathan makes the covenant with David, yet who had everything to lose? Jonathan. His future, his inheritance, his kingship, everything he had been trained to do to become king, he gives to his brother in covenant. Covenant is not contract. It's not a whole bunch of terms. David, if you do this, 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 and this, then I'll be your brother. Now, covenant is this, regardless of if you do this, this, and this, I am your brother. It's what Jesus did with us. And we make a covenant. I met a man when I was 21 years old and returned, and, and uh, he, he was an arrogant, proud male model, looked like David Beckham, charted accountant, thought the world bent at his feet. And then he joined my life group. His name's Mark Sturton. And in two years, that man became my best man. Because God did something. God in two years put the microwave effect on a relationship. where well, I had relationships. I've got best friends from Standard 2. One of them was on camp with us this weekend. I've got great friendships. But with this guy, God did something. And it was like God's put you in my life. And for the first part of that relationship, probably the first five years, the giving was this way. To be honest... From me to him. He was in my life group. He was proud. He was arrogant. I had to sort him out often. He, he, he. And yet, God said, you're going to be covenantal brothers. And you know what? When we moved to Cape Town, see, I'm relational. Mark's not usually relational, this other Mark. And um, moved to Cape Town. After six months, he'd phoned once, maybe twice. I'd phoned every second week. And then I just said to my wife, oh, you know what? That's probably not on. So I just phoned him. I said, but I'm just phoning to tell you, you've been a very bad mate. He says, what do you mean? I said, no, you stood at my wedding, and you said, if there's ever trouble, you'll come. You said, if my wife's ever in trouble, you'll come. And I'm telling you, you won't know if I'm in trouble because you never phone. So get on the phone, make a phone call. Don't send me a WhatsApp message. Get on the phone, pay for the call, and let's do this thing. And I'm telling you now, it's been four years, and we are tight mates because we can have those conversations. Is that alright? Some of you are like, gosh, I never want to be mates with him. (laughs) (laughs) And then I want to tell you it says this in verse 4 Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. He gives him everything that says, I am the future king. And he gives it to him and says, You are the future king. You want a covenantal relationship? It's going to be costly. And please don't look at me and say, well, I got one with my wife. (laughs) I know you got one with your wife, but you need brothers to sort you out so you're a better covenantal partner to your wife. You need that. I need that. It wasn't a year ago. We had a staff meeting. Ken's asked me something. I responded, and we carried on. I thought life was done. Two, three hours later, Gabriel. Skinny little Gabriel with red hair. Mark, can I chat to you? Says you're too rough with your wife. Like, what? I call her beautiful five times a day. says, in the staff meeting, she asks you a question, you respond, and you just carried on. She says the staff see it. But more than that, your wife sees it. Do you have those friends? Because if you don't, sir or ma'am, you are exposed, you are vulnerable, you are running on your own in a stampede. And there's an enemy at the door and he's looking to steal the blessing that is yours. It says this in, in, in 1 Samuel 19, it carries on. And uh, there's a, I'm not even going to read this, there's a scenario 1 Samuel 19. And, and Saul is going at David and David's not even there. And Jonathan just defends him. He defends his mate to his earthly father. you want a friend? you want world-changing friendships? Point number four, friends fight for friends, especially when their friends are not there. And yet we live in a world where if someone's not there, it doesn't matter what we say or what we post or what we send. Actually, it's only when they're in front of them. No, that's called unauthentic. It's called fake. What's real is when they're not there. What do you say? How do you fight for them? Jonathan fights his, froth- his father. How awkward is that? It's like a scene from Loving. It's like uh, now you're fighting your father for your friend. It's like, I don't know why loving came up, but we're going to. Yeah, let's move on. Point number five. When crisis comes, friends arrive. They get in cars, they get in airplanes, they get in trains, they get shoes on, they do something, but they arrive. And David and Jonathan, verse chapter 20, Then David fled from Nooth and at Ramon, went to Jonathan. He went to Jonathan. See, Jonathan's father's trying to kill him. What does David do? He goes to Jonathan. Why? Because they're covenantal brothers. What happens when the enemy comes at you? Don't tell me, but what do you do? Do you run to or do you run from? What have I done? What is my crime? How have I managed your, wronged your father? That he's trying to kill me. And Jonathan says this never! You are not going to die. Look at my father. He doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I found favour in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. He says he doesn't shrink back, and there's a whole section, and, and uh, there's a difficult scenario. And, and Jonathan says, I'll, I'll find out. You go and hide in the bush, and, and I'll give you a signal and a sign that if you're safe or not. He doesn't shrink back from the situation. He doesn't shrink back from the reality. Now, please understand, not many of you know who Jonathan is. But we all know who David is. And yet, to me, the hero in this story is Jonathan. The maker of a leader, the maker of a king, was his friend named Jonathan. He says this amazing thing in verse 17. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as self. It's radical. I see this and I see Psalm 133. We preach so glibly, so glibly. I I sit with pastors who've walked with guys for 20 years, and I say, well, why are you not speaking to that guy? I phoned him three times, he didn't phone me back. These are pastors, leaders of community, mature men. I'm going to grow up. That guy who you've written off because he didn't phone you three times, that guy fought for your future, that guy believed in you, that guy trusted you, that guy risked on you, that guy put you in pulpits, you should never have been. That's the same guy, and because he didn't phone you back. We've got to toughen up, guys. You want friends? I'll give you point number one. Toughen up. Yeah. Ladies, can I help you? Stop gossiping. I'm, I'm not picking on you. but being in the church, one church for 20 years. I've seen it rip great relationships apart. And I've seen people self-justify. There is no self-justification for gossip. Nothing. The Bible says you got an issue, go talk to the person. You can't resolve it, get someone to come and help. But I promise you, nothing rips the blessing out than gossiping. And guys, we do it too. We have to stop these things. We want to see the kingdom of God come. I want to see cancer patients healed. I want to see lupus people here. I want to see people walk into this building and fall over under the presence of God. I want to see favor come upon our young people that their studies would be paid for time and time again. I want to see young people with no opportunities arrive here from Zambia and Malawi and, and Congo with nothing. And God blesses them and raises them at Teresa. I want to see that. And I'm telling you, this is intrinsic to that. It's an amazing thing. He carries on. It says, Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them. Off the boy had gone. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his faith to the ground. They kissed each other and wept together. Who's David? The already anointed future king of Israel. He gets on his knees three times, bows to his friend and kisses him and they weep. When last did you weep with a friend? Because then I'll tell you what friends you have. There's no testimonies without a test. And our friendships should have testimonies attached to them. And you know what? I, I could preach a lot more about this. I'm going to not say too much more. But Jesus, see the basis of David and Jonathan's friendship. And, and I, people come to church and say, but I've got a million friends out there. And I said, That's awesome. That's amazing. Don't lose any of them. But you need Christian brothers and sisters who have the Spirit of God inside them because the only thing that made this relationship work was God was at the center. The only thing that made it work was not years of history. It was the covenantal reality that God was in that relationship. Some of my greatest friends are completely different to me. I find them unbelievably painful. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I couldn't go on holiday with some of them. They know that. We just agreed we'll never go on holiday together. Why? Because we kill each other. I want to ride a mountain bike. He wants to sit and park off all day. I'm like, I'm not going to do that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a weird morning. And Jesus says this. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, my command, not suggestion, not possibility. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. I'm sorry, but I can't expect someone who hasn't received the love of Jesus to lay their life down for me. Because intrinsic to a life outside of Christ is selfishness. But intrinsic to a life in Christ is my life is paid for already. I have an eternity promised with my Father in heaven. So to give this away has to become easier and easier as I get closer and closer to Jesus. It just has to. Why? Because where the brothers dwell together in unity, God commands. He commands. So yes, He commands us to love, but He commands His blessing. Can we just close our eyes for a second? This has gone a whole different way. But I, uh, if you hear anything this morning, I don't preach like this every week. We often work through books and we start a series next week. But sometimes there's just got to be the burning of a heart. Please hear my heart this morning. I'm fighting for you, sir or ma'am, and your loneliness. And your pain that maybe even 20 years in church you haven't had a friend like this. I want to fight for you and I want to tell you this start sowing seed today. Brett reminded us on the men's camp, he said there's an old Chinese proverb if you want to start planting a seed for a tree to grow, the best day to start it is 20 years ago. The second best day is today. So start with your wife or your husband. Start there. Maybe you're just not a good friend there. Start there, but then realize this. You need brothers and sisters, and you need a tribe to run in. But know this, you don't deserve it. And it's not going to come to you. You've got to go to it. Which means you've got to be prepared to be vulnerable. You've got to be prepared for the reality that you'll probably get hurt in it. I can tell you now, my best friends have hurt me more than anyone. In real ways. But God said they would be my brothers. So I went back to them and we sorted it out. Are you prepared to go those journeys? Because if you aren't prepared to go on a journey like David and Jonathan, I'm telling you, we won't see the blessing. We, the church. We, the people of God. We, the kingdom of God. And the world's saying, buckle down the hatches. Protect yourself. Protect your heart. Everyone's just going to take. And the kingdom of God says, I gave my life for you. Will you give yours away to your brother's? inside the church and outside the church? When you give your life away? Will you be generous with your emotions? To be honest, in these last three months, I've been to hospital more times than the rest of my life, probably. And I hate it. I absolutely hate driving into hospitals because years ago, I lost, we lost a friend, an eight-year-old kid, and it ripped my guts out. And I said, God, you can ask anything of me. Just don't ask me to go back into ICU wards again and pray again. And God says, that's exactly what I'm going to ask of you. Why? Because at your least, he is great. Can we just take a moment? This gospel we preach is a gospel of repentance. The only way it works is when we repent. And repentance is purely this. I just turn. Will you make a turn today, sir or ma'am? I turn to say, actually, I'm going to open up the gates of my heart, not just to Jesus, but to his followers. I'm going to to open up the gates of my heart that are closed because trust has been broken. And I operate on a currency of trust. But I want to tell you about the kingdom of God that operates on a currency of love and faith. Why? Because, selfishly, I want the blessing of God for this community. And you play a part in releasing it. Not about church attendance. Not about being in a life group 50 weeks of the year. Not about paying tithes or giving offerings or whatever you want to do. It's about our heart being like Jesus so that he can bless. So, ma'am, I also want to tell you we have a gospel of forgiveness. And this door will stay closed and this cave will remain blocked unless you are able to forgive those who have hurt you, who have disappointed you, who have let you down. It'll just stay closed. And you'll find a million ways to self-justify why it's closed. I know because I've done it. But I promise you, if the crack of that cave starts to open because my heart opens, Jesus will be revealed. Right now, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart towards friends or family that have hurt you, or maybe even you want to say, I need to repent of my thinking around friendship. Can you place your hand on your heart right now? And um, God, I pray this morning, would you give courage to start a journey again? The hardest step on a 200,000 mile journey is the first one. It's the first one. It's always the first one. And I pray this morning, would you give courage and strength For those who have never known resilience and the ability to be resilient in their life, would you give them resilience? For those who have never been known as courageous, would you give them courage? This morning, Spirit of God, why God? Because I believe you want to bless your kids. I believe you want to bless the children of God. And yet you ask something of us. Would we have brothers in our lives and would we have sisters in our lives? who we would plant seed in and not stare at that soil waiting for the seed to come like a five-year-old child does, but in maturity, plant seed and trust you for the growth. I pray even now if hearts are tender, God, because this is a foreign reality to some. I pray, God, you would comfort and you would hold because you haven't designed the one thing you said was it's not good for me man to be alone. It's not good for women to be alone. We hear that today, God, and we say we want to respond. We'll change where we need to change. But Spirit of God, we need you to show us, to lead us, to help us, to guide us, to heal us, and to allow relationships to thrive. Relationships the world will look at and say, there's something different about that. There's just something different about that. We thank you, God. We give you all the glory, King.